Today in Science from Wired. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for the New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Today in Science from Wired. New England's moose are losing the fight against winter ticks. Climate change has given a tiny parasite a new advantage over the mighty beasts. By Ashley Simpson. On an October morning around sunrise, Josh Bluen was standing outside of an old general store in Island Pond, Vermont, 16 miles south of the Canadian border, getting ready to hopefully see a moose. Wearing neoprene boots and a buffalo plaid shirt, Bluen, a wildlife biologist with the Vermont Fish and Wildlife Department, sipped his coffee and explained that he would use telemetry to track one of the massive ungulates, but actually laying eyes on it would require creeping slowly and silently through the woods, which were inconveniently covered in crispy fallen leaves. For Bluen, it's a routine. On most days, since 2017, he has strapped on hiking boots, rain boots, or snowshoes and trekked into the hardwood forests of Vermont to observe members of the department's radio-collared moose herd to figure out why the population there has declined by 45% in less than a decade. Bluen's fieldwork has revealed some disheartening numbers, which he and his colleagues published in a paper this summer. On average, from 2017 to 2019, only 66% of moose calves survived their first 60 days. Only 49% survived their first winter. Birth rates were down by half. What's killing these gigantic animals? Teeny, tiny, ticks. It turns out Bluen wasn't the only one looking for moose that day. Starting in October, winter ticks are questing, searching for a host organism, in teams of a thousand or more, interlocking their limbs so that when one tick grabs onto a passerby, they all climb aboard. These ticks like any warm-blooded host, but moose make particularly ideal ones. Not only do moose lack a grooming instinct, but they also offer a thick, 8-inch coat keeping ticks nice and warm, Bluen says. They're living in a good life. Unlike other ticks, which may spend a few days on a host, transmitting disease in the process, winter ticks hunker down for the season, molting from larva to nymph to adult over the course of five months, not spreading disease but consuming large quantities of blood. Moose calves, which are about six months old at the onset of winter, and pregnant cows are unable to make enough blood to replenish their systems. By spring, they're anemic, malnourished, and disoriented. They suffer horrible slow deaths, Bluen says. He calls April mortality month. That's when radio callers send messages to his cell phone, as many as three a day, that an individual moose has stopped moving. The carcasses Bluen retrieves for necropsy are emaciated, nearly bald, 
and covered in as many as 70,000 ticks. These majestic animals are curled up, skin and bones. It's a sad sight, he says. Even moose that managed to survive the winter emerge physically depleted and less fertile. Winter ticks aren't new to the landscape, but mild weather brought on by climate change is. Long autumns and late snow give the ticks more time to find a host. Earlier springs are also advantageous to the parasites, which finally drop off the moose in April. If female ticks fall onto snow, they die. If they fall onto leaf litter, they will lay up to 4,000 eggs. In New England, this kind of weather used to be an anomaly. Now, it's the norm. Winter in Maine has been shortened by about two weeks, notes biologist Lee Cantor, who has spent the last 15 years studying moose for the Maine Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife. That's a dramatic change in climate. In fact, the Northeast is warming faster than any other region in the continental U.S., According to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the temperature of winter months in New England has risen by 3.6 degrees since the late 1800s. Ice in the region's lakes now breaks up as many as 16 days earlier as it did back then. An estimated 75,000 moose live in Maine. The state flag features one reclining beneath a pine tree, and officials like Cantor are concerned that winter tick infestations could soon destabilize the population. For example, a particularly cold year that kills off the ticks could boost the moose population. A warm winter with more parasites could cause a moose die-off. The change over time is erratic, Cantor says, and that makes it hard for wildlife managers to ensure the life of the herd and prevent grizzly mortality events. Moose populations have been anything but stable during the last two centuries. Extirpated from New England in the 19th century thanks to deforestation and unregulated hunting, moose made a comeback in the latter part of the last century. Enticed by young forests created by commercial logging, they poured into Maine, Vermont, and New Hampshire in the 1970s and 1980s. It was an amazing recovery, says Peter Peckins, a retired moose biologist at the University of New Hampshire. There was a moose behind every tree. With plenty to eat and zero predators left, moose populations soared, in some places exceeding their biological carrying capacity. Moose were eating more than their fair share of the woods. Collisions with vehicles became more commonplace. By the early 2000s, in an attempt to restore an ecological balance, all three states had opened a moose hunt for the first time in more than 100 years. That's when, according to Peckins, regional wildlife officials began to see signs that moose populations were declining in ways unrelated to the new hunts. Snowmobilers and shed hunters reported finding scrawny dead calves out in the woods. In 2002, Peckins led a three-year study of 94 collared moose. The resulting paper was the first to record a calf mortality rate of 50% and recognized winter ticks as a serious threat to New England's moose. Soon, all three states were conducting their own studies and coming up with the same results, Bluens included. Not only were winter ticks thriving in milder weather these studies found, but also in places where moose densities had skyrocketed. COVID is a great way to explain the density issue with ticks, says Bluen. With COVID, where there is high density of humans, transmission is quite high. Where there are concentrated moose, there are going to be more ticks on the landscape. In other words, the more ticks that hatch in a given area in April, the more ticks that will be questing there come October. Since wildlife agencies can't restore the lost weeks of winter, all they can do is reduce the density of moose. That means issuing more hunting permits, 55% more in Vermont and 11% more in Maine this year alone. 
Officials in New Hampshire have yet to increase permits, despite saying it would result in healthier moose populations. It might seem strange at first, killing members of an already declining species, but according to Peckin, density reduction will happen whether it's the hunters who draw blood or tens of thousands of ticks. There are two choices, he says. We can let the thing play out, the density will drop naturally, and the parasite will become less common, or we can get to that point sooner. Not everyone is on board. Bluewin says his agency has received big-time pushback from anti-hunting groups, which have suggested alternatives like anti-parasitic medications, tick collars, prescribed burns to destroy the underbrush where the ticks live, or dowsing the woods with insecticides, options that run the gamut from prohibitively expensive to downright impossible. Landscape spraying, in particular, would no doubt have unintended consequences on beneficial insects, as well as the water supply. It can be difficult to explain to the general public because it's a super complicated ecosystem-level problem, Bluin says. We're doing the best we can to try to get a grasp on the issue. We want healthy moose. During the couple of hours Bluin spent sidling beneath yellow birch and red maples, he found plenty of evidence of moose, big hoof prints and falafel-sized scat. For one heart-pounding second, he came close enough to a cow to hear her snort disapprovingly, but he left the woods without glimpsing a moose. It wasn't a wholly unsatisfying outcome, but in a world remade by climate change, a hard-to-find moose will be the one that survives. Like what you learned? Subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts and get more science news at wired.com science. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.